All right, guys, good morning. If we can, let's open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 4. Romans 4. Today we'll be looking at verses 13 to 25. Romans chapter 4, verses 13 to 25. If you guys are new with us, uh, my name is Kenson. I have the honor of serving as a pastor here at Park, specifically our Bridgeport location. So good to be with you guys. And oftentimes you see myself and Rafe kind of running back and forth, you know, during the services. It's because we, we, do, we do a team teach each weekend. So uh, glad to be with you guys. Also as well, to praise God for just for the incredible surplus that he's given uh, towards the South Loop location. Uh, what just an incredible testament of God's faithfulness, but also the work that he's doing in all of you. Excited for what God's going to do with that in our city and in our world. So Romans chapter 4, verses 13 and 25. Let me read our verses, and then we're going to jump right in. Verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs. Faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Verse 17, also the one who shares the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who God gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, and raised for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's a story of a man who had a wife who was very sick. Now, it was during the frontier days, and he had to go across town to get the medicine. The problem is that the only way to get the medicine in time to save his wife was to cross over the lake. It was winter time, and the lake had been iced over, so he gets going. But he's terrified because at any moment, the ice could break. He gets so scared that he gets on his hands and knees and inches his way across. And as he's doing this, a loud rumbling is coming from behind him. And the rumbling gets louder and louder and louder. And the man begins to scream in fear. The ice is breaking. The ice is breaking. And he looks up and sees that the rumbling is coming from a man driving a team of horses over the frozen lake loaded with boxes to drop off. And as this man sees his caravan ride off, he gets up and begins to sprint across the lake to get medicine for his wife. This man who was once filled with fear was now filled with unshakable confidence. What happened? He learned something about the ice that if the ice could hold a team of horses thundering across the lake, it could easily hold him. You know, I share this with you today because in our verses, 
Paul gives us Abraham as an example of strong and unshakable faith to encourage us with weak faith. You know, let me just remind you of some context here. Last week, we introduced Abraham, who, was, who the Jews counted as the hero of their faith. And the point Paul was establishing in our previous verses is how his example of faith is to be our example of faith. That Abraham didn't trust in his works or his own abilities to save him. He trusted in God's promises alone and thus was justified by faith. That this has always been the way that God has saved and justified his people. That in verses 13 and 15, Paul summarizes all of this. That we're not saved by the law, nor do we receive the promises of God by it. All the law could do was show us how badly we sin and how much we needed a Savior. Salvation has always been by faith. In our passage today, Paul continues to show us a faith that justifies, but now instead of talking about the content of a faith that justifies, he now wants to talk about what it looks like. He's giving us some practical theology that he wants to show us a faith, a justified faith, and what it looks like in difficult circumstances, and specifically with Abraham, his faith did not weaken, but it only grew stronger. Verse 19 and 20, he did not weaken in faith, when he considered his own body, verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Now, this is incredibly relevant for us because if we're being honest here with each other, we've all had moments where we've been weak in our faith. Does God really forgive? Does he really love me? No, is God really in control? That I'm more tempted right now to pursue sin and, and not Jesus. I'm worried about the future. I feel so discouraged. I lack spiritual motivation. When faith is weak, we can feel like nothing will ever change or that God is really far away. Or we can even begin to wonder, am I a Christ follower? My life is so messy. Or I'm not as passionate as Joe and Sally. Do I really believe in God? To have a weak faith leads to so much anxiety, insecurity, security and fear. I want to let you guys know that today God gives us our verses here to encourage your heart that even though you might be weak in faith, your God is still strong. Verse 16, this is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring. Paul says here that we are guaranteed the promise because it rests on grace. Now, what's the promise here? It's the promise, just like Abraham, that when we have faith in God, we will be saved and justified. And the certainty of this promise is not based on the strength of our faith. Paul says here that it rests on grace, that it is God's grace that makes us sure and unshakable, that our salvation is guaranteed because God puts the fulfillment of the promise on himself. And this is why it's important to have strong faith, not because our faith saves us. Instead, when we have strong faith, it can give imperfect and stumbling believers like us incredible encouragement and confidence because we gain a greater vision of who our God is. That's what faith does when it gets stronger. We get a bigger picture not of us, we get a bigger picture of who God is. This is why a faith that is as small as a mustard seed 
can move mountains. Not because the faith is mighty and powerful. No, the seed, it's tiny, it's inconsequential. It's the object that our faith connects us with that is mighty and powerful, and that is God himself. This is why when we have strong faith, we will take greater risks for God. We will rest more deeply in him. We will be able to push back on Satan's attacks because a strong faith has a bigger vision of who God is. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talks about the armor of God and how every Christ follower has the shield of faith. Because as you follow the Lord, Satan will fire his fiery darts from hell at you. He will tempt you with doubts, with lies and temptations. It's the shield of faith that will protect you. A faith that grows strong is a faith that believes in a strong God. So with that, here are the three points to move us along. Let me just show it to you here. How did Abraham grow strong in his faith? Three. First, he believed that circumstances were not everything. Second, he believed that God could do anything And finally, he believed that promises meant something. Pretty snazzy, right? Uh, You guys don't care. Whatever. Okay, I like it, okay? So, So first, Abraham's faith grew strong because he believed circumstances were not everything. Verse 18 and 19. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead because he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Now, last week, Rafe did a really nice job walking us through the story of Abraham. So let me just give you a very quick refresher. God calls Abraham to be the father of nations, and it's through him that the people of God would come from, namely the Jews, the nation of Israel. And God pointed up to the stars and said, your descendants will be as numerous as all the stars you see up there. And Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, what makes Abraham's faith so notable is that when he considered his circumstances, he did not weaken in his faith. That it says in verse 15, when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, that Abraham knew that he was on the last leg of his life. And when God gives him this promise of descendants as numerous as the stars, he was already 86 years old. And for the next 13 years, nothing happens. And when he looks at Sarah, she's not getting any younger. It says that when he considered Sarah his wife and the barrenness of her womb, Abraham and Sarah, the reason he knew that Sarah's womb was barren was because they tried to have kids year after year after year and nothing happened. Abraham faced the facts and they were not pretty. He wasn't dealing with hard circumstances. He was not dealing with difficult circumstances. He was dealing with impossible circumstances. And what is amazing is that in the midst of all of that, it says he did not weaken in faith. Now, there's a couple of important things I want to highlight here. First, Abraham did not have blind faith. 
He was not ignorant, that he didn't just take God's promises and reject reality or have this naive optimism, you know. It says in verse 15 that he considered it, that he looked at the mirror, he saw the wrinkles on his face, on his bodies, that he looked at Sarah's belly, and he saw all the facts and what they were pointing to, and he did not run away from it. He knew the reality that was before him, but in faith, he chose to look to God first. Because with God, he knew that circumstances were not everything. That it's in these faith moments we have to be careful not to carry our limitations and superimpose them onto God. God is not like us. You know, in Genesis, it talks about Abraham's story. And there's a moment where it talks about how Sarah hears about the promise of this child and she laughs. Most likely, she snickers, and she snickers internally, not outwardly, but God hears everything and calls her out. And he says this in Genesis 18. Let me show it to you. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? The answer is no. Jeremiah 32, let me show it to you. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Matthew 19, in the context of the rich young ruler. But Jesus looked and said to them, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Abraham's faith grew stronger because he believed that circumstances were not everything. Now, this doesn't mean that God will always work supernaturally or outside his created order, but he can if he wanted to, but he can because he's the creator of all and he is not bound by his creation. A strong faith looks at the facts, it looks at the circumstances, it deals with reality, and in faith chooses to see God as greater. This is what it means to have strong faith. And if I can just say a very quick application for us here is that if you want to apply this, we all need to adjust our perspective. Let me just illustrate. Did you know that the sun is 864,000 miles in diameter, 109 times larger than the earth? Now, I have this index card here, which is only about four inches long. Now, even though this index card is so small compared to the sun, if I allow it to get close enough to my eyes, I can't see the sun. Now, if I was able to put this card in the space and compare it right next to the sun, this card would be, it would be inconsequential. It would burn up. This, this could maybe no match towards the sun. That's how insignificant it is. But let me ask you, how many of you have allowed your doubts and your hard circumstances to come so close to you that you can't see anything else that God might be doing or God might be promising to you. We need a perspective adjustment. You know, in Acts chapter 4, this is a good example, there's a decree that goes out that says that if anyone, anyone proclaims the name of Jesus and his resurrection in Jerusalem, you will be punished and you will be imprisoned. So what happens with the early Christ followers when they hear this? Do they pray, oh God, you know, we're really in trouble, you know, we're going to give up here? No. Let me show you what they pray. They pray this, Acts chapter 4. And when they heard it, the decree, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. 
Notice how they pray to God. They start by saying, Sovereign Lord, who is the creator of everything. Their early believers were framing their perspective that they were going to go back out to the streets and proclaim Jesus even though it was illegal because Caesar was not king, Jesus was their king, and they were going to do it no matter what. But they were terrified. They were so scared to do it. So in prayer, they tell themselves that in light of this really hard and difficult circumstance, God, you are bigger. God, you are in control. God, you are creator. Their faith grew stronger because they knew circumstances were not everything. God was everything. Verse 18, in hope he believed against hope. Abraham, instead of putting his hope in his circumstances, putting his hope in what he can do, he put his faith and hope in God to make the impossible possible. That Abraham had a God-centered hope that believed against a man-centered hope. Here's the second point. Abraham's faith grew strong because he believed that God could do anything. Verse 20 and 21. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So once again, how did Abraham's faith grow strong? It says here again that he looked to God. Now, what Paul does here with Abraham is is interesting because he makes Abraham sound like Captain America, that he has impeccable character and faith. In verse 20, he was a man who never wavered. In verse 21, he was fully convinced in the promises of God. But if you were with us last week, Rafe made this very clear. This is simply not true. Abraham did waver and doubt in horrible ways. And let me just give you a few highlights here, okay? First, in Genesis 12, he passed his wife off to another man to protect himself. That he knew that his wife was beautiful and the Egyptians would lust after her, that Pharaoh would lust after her. So he tells Sarah, just tell the men around you that I'm your brother so they won't kill me to have you. That is a sleazeball kind of move. But he doesn't do it just once with Pharaoh. He does it twice with Abimelech. He does this thing twice. This does not sound like a man of faith and character. Secondly, in Genesis 16, after receiving the promise from God to bear a child, Abraham gets impatient, decides to take Sarah's Sarah's servant, Hagar, and, and take her as a wife. They bear a child, Ishmael, and God looks to God and says, here's Ishmael, ta-da, your promise has been answered. And God's like, no, 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 no. Abraham, are you serious? You're going to go into the sin of polygamy to honor me? Are, Are you for real? Abraham sure seems to waver. Now, Paul, being a scholar, an expert of the Old Testament, of the Torah, of the Tanakh, would have known all of this. So how could he say that Abraham never wavered in his faith? It's because his doubts were incidental, not fundamental. Douglas Moo, in his commentary on Romans, said it best. Let me show it to you. He said, when he said Abraham never wavered, it didn't mean that he never had momentary hesitations, but that he avoided a deep-seated and permanent attitude of distrust and inconsistency in relationship to God and his promises. His doubts were incidental and not 
fundamental, that Abraham did not build his life on his doubts, that even with these serious missteps, Abraham got back up and continued to walk in faith. For example, in Genesis 17, God says to 99-year-old Abraham, do you still believe in the promise of this son that I'm going to give you? 13 years after the initial promise, in faith, Abraham says, yes, I believe that you'll do it. And God says, great, let's seal this promise with circumcision. What? What are you talking about? I can't even begin to tell you how miserable and how hard this would be for a 99-year-old man to consider and to do. But guess what? Abraham believed that God could do anything, and he did it. Genesis 17, 24. Let me show it to you. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Let me just tell you something. That is believing in God to do something. Okay? In addition... His faith, in addition, in faith, he took on a new identity, that God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. And this would have been so hard because the name Abram means exalted father. Could you just imagine just how embarrassing it would have been for Abraham to carry this name? That as he would meet caravans of people, and back then your names told you something about yourself. So Abraham is meeting other folks, and he says, my name is exalted father. Oh, that's really cool. How many kids do you have? Um, none. But now, at 99 years old, God says to change your name from Abram to Abraham, which means exalted father of the multitude. Are you kidding me? He doesn't even have one kid yet. But Abraham takes on the new name and takes on the new identity because he believed that God could do anything. And in Genesis 22, moving forward here, after Isaac is born, God commands Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son to him. And in faith, Abraham pulls out the knife, and right before he stabs and kills his son, God stops him. Do you guys see? Abraham's doubts were incidental, not fundamental. Abraham had a ton of reasons to be discouraged, but he chooses to believe that God could do anything, even if it scared him. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I find these verses so comforting. Because when you look at Abraham, it tells you that to have a strong faith does not mean to have a perfect faith. As a matter of fact, some of the greatest spiritual heroes in the Bible wavered. Job, whom God called the most righteous man on earth, wavered. Peter, who Jesus said would be the rock on which the church would be built on, wavered a ton, denied Jesus three times as he was being put to the cross. This is why Paul could say that Abraham never wavered because strong faith did not mean never falling or never stumbling, but it's, at, but it's after falling he gets back up and continues to believe that God can do anything. anything. In fact, it's the struggle he had between believing and unbelieving that many could say made his faith stronger, that the resistance made his faith muscle grow. Struggle doesn't have to crush you. Your hurts and doubts do not have to define you. you they do not have power over you. Your God, who is bigger than all, is for you and is with you. And if I can just make a quick side point here. For some of you, who are towards your later seasons of life, you carry a different set of doubts with you. That you ask yourself, have I really lived my life well? Or you begin to believe, you know what, my best days for Jesus, 
They were back then. You know, they, they, they were in my 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever. They were, they were back then, but not today. You know, my, my best days are done. Can I tell you something? Abraham's most fruitful years of faith were in his 90s and early 100s. Friends, your best days are still ahead of you. When you live by faith at any age, you are a vessel of God, and he can use you to always bring himself more glory. Amen? Amen. And here's the third point. Finally, Abraham's faith grew strong because he believed that God's promises meant something. It meant something. Verse 23 and 24. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to, do, to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, what Paul does here with these last verses here is that he makes a connection between Abraham's faith and our faith. That just like Abraham, we're being asked to believe in God, to do the impossible, to bring the dead to life. Now, in Abraham's case, his body was dead. Sarah's womb was barren and dead. And, and could you, if you can just imagine, right, Abraham and Sarah going to the gynecologist at 100 years old and saying, hey, we want to talk about having a baby. The doctor's going to be like, you guys have just got to give this thing up. You know, menopause was 50 years ago, okay? Dead is dead here. And in the same way, we face the reality, same reality. We too are dead. Not just cursed with physical death, but spiritual death, eternal separation from God, that there is no spiritual heartbeat here that, that, that beats for God whatsoever. We are no better off than Abraham. We too need God to do the impossible possible, and to make it possible, to bring this dead heart and to bring it to life, to bring this cold heart and to make it warm towards Christ. We too need a resurrection and our hope can only be found in a promise that just like Abraham our promise comes through a son, and his name is Jesus Christ. Paul says in verse 25, Jesus, who was delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That first, Christ died for our sin, that the penalty of our trespasses has been paid in full by Christ, that when Jesus said it was finished, it was completely finished. And secondly, not only did Jesus die, but he also rose again. That he didn't just suffer death, he also conquered death. And it's with this resurrected life, Jesus now gives to us. That this is the promise of salvation that God gives to all those who believe. That for Abraham, he looked forward to the son of promise. And for us, we look backward to the son who fulfilled that promise. Different directions, but the same object of our faith. It's the son whom God would give. And for Abraham, his faith was strengthened because he believed God's promises meant something, and he arranged his life accordingly around those promises. Let me ask you, are you arranging your life around the promise of salvation? Are you arranging your life around the gospel? Once again, biblical faith is not just knowledge. Faith is trust. It's living in light of the promises of God, even when it means that to have faith can seem to contradict appearances or, or common sense or popular opinion or even my feelings that people often say to me, I don't feel like I have faith, thus I might not be a believer, okay? No, you, you got it all wrong. Faith is not primarily a feeling. 
faith is primarily first a choice. It's the choice to distrust my feelings, distrust my effort, to distrust outward appearances, and to choose to trust in the facts about who God is and what he has done for me. Because when you think about it, anytime God is going to call us to step out in faith, we're never going to feel it. We're never going to want to do it. We're never going to want to step outside our comfort zone. We can't base our faith first on feelings. We base it first on the choice that God is true in what he says, and I will step out in light of that. To strengthen your faith is to believe God's promises mean something and to live with that as your greater reality. You know, for example, if you guys are anything with me, one of the things we struggle with, one of the things I struggle with is sharing my faith. That oftentimes I'm in a coffee shop and I'm just thinking to myself like, oh man, the Holy Spirit put this burden in my heart to share the gospel with this person, but I'm like, Oh, man, like, you know, like, what if it gets weird? What if I don't, and I'm the pastor here, what if I don't answer their questions? What if I actually make them even go further away from Christ? You know, I I shouldn't talk about God in the coffee shop. I shouldn't talk about God in my workplace. it's It's just too scary. Let me ask you, in those moments, will you lean into your doubts and your worries, or will you lean into the promises of God? Will you lean into Matthew 28 when Jesus says, go and make disciples and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you hold on to the promise that if I courageously go, my Savior will always be with me? Will you do that? Or here's another example. One of the things that worries me is my finances. Then one of the things that my wife and I got this silly idea in marriage prep when we first got married 16 years ago was the pastor who was doing was sharing about how every year he would try as a family to give a little bit more away, a percent, a half a percent, but whatever. Every year he would give more no matter what. And my wife and I were like, that's a great idea. Let's do the same thing. We're 16 years into marriage, and this is not getting fun anymore, okay? It's, it's not. And every year around Christmas and the New Year's, my wife and I are talking like, like how, how much more can, can we give? And there's many times where we just want to say like, you know, how about we take a pause this year? You know, the, the bonus, Christmas bonus wasn't that high. I, I didn't get a raise, you know. We're having more kids, you know. The hospital bills are adding up, you know, medical insurance. Like, you know, this, we, don't, we don't have it. Let me, let me ask you, in those moments, do you lean into your doubts and fears Or do you lean into the promises of God? Do you lean into Matthew 6.33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you, that when you and you and you put his kingdom first, God will provide for every single need? Or do you lean into the promise of Romans 8.32? Let me show it to you. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Will you lean into the promise that you can never, ever outgive your God? Will you lean into that promise? It's these promises of God that strengthen me to step out in faith and to say yes. Yes to sharing my faith. Yes to giving more away. Friends, if you want to strengthen your faith and have the Spirit move powerfully in you, believe that God's promises mean something and arrange your life accordingly. Now, what's an application here? Let me just give you one. First, Have you put your unwavering faith in Christ? Or has it been hard for you to trust in his promises to love and to care for you? That once again, is it your future plans? You know, is it a sickness that you're dealing with? 
a job, you know, what to do after graduation, an exam, a, a miscarriage, relationships and friendships. Maybe it's committing to this church that you came from a really bad situation and churches are just messy and, you know, and, and it creates a lot of doubt in you. Or is it like me? Is it with your finances? To trust God in these areas can feel risky, but can I encourage you? These areas of struggle are not meant to weaken your faith, but like Abraham, an opportunity for you to strengthen your faith by leaning into the promises of God. It's to speak the truth of God into your doubts and your fears. Romans 10, 17 says this. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The strength of your faith is tied to the word of Christ in your life. Let me ask you, how well do you know the promises of God? Did you know that there are over 6,000 promises in the Bible? That God has given us so much more than Abraham, that unlike Abraham, who had a vague knowledge of what God was up to, we as Christ followers, we have the cross, we have the gospel, we have the Bible, the whole counsel of God. We have so much more than Abraham to lean into to strengthen our faith. Are you taking God's promises to the bank? Are you doing that? If you have weak and wavering faith, strengthen your faith by rooting yourself in God's word. Read the Bible. Listen to the Bible. Be with others who know the Bible. Uh, let me just close with this. Verse 20 and 21 again. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Church, when we step out in faith and trust God, he will get the glory. For example, my three-year-old son, imagine that we're at the swimming pool and he's standing at the ledge and I'm in the pool and I say to my three-year-old son, you know, Ethan, jump. I'm your daddy. I love you. I won't drop you. Come and jump. I'll catch you. Now, in that moment, what does it look like to make daddy look good, right? It's to jump and for me to catch him. Now, what does it look like to make daddy look bad? Uh, yeah, I'm good, you know, and, walk, and walks away. Let me ask you, are you jumping? Are you taking that step of trust? Are you showing that your God is strong and faithful? Are you taking those kinds of risks? Let me just share this story with you. George Mueller, an 18th century evangelist, he ran several orphanages in Bristol, England, all by faith, and he believed that God was so present in this work that he shouldn't tell anyone of his financial needs that if this is really God's work, he believed that God laid on his heart that God would supply for it and bring all the glory to himself. So one night after tucking the kids to bed, his wife tells him, George, you know that there is no milk tomorrow for tomorrow's oatmeal. We have no breakfast for the kids. He immediately took her hand and prayed to the Lord. It wasn't long after praying that there was a knock on the door. It was the baker in town, and he told George Mueller that I just felt that the Lord was telling me to bake a bunch of bread and to give it to the kids. Do you need it? And George is like, yes, wow, what an answer to prayer. But God wasn't done. In the morning, as the kids are about to give thanks and eat bread for breakfast, Another knock on the door, and George Mueller opens it, and it's a milkman 
whose milk truck broke down down the road, and he tells George Mueller, I can't deliver my milk, and it's going to spoil. Could your kids use it? Wow. George Mueller said this in his autobiography. He said this, Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. Isn't that great? If you want to grow strong in faith, lean into your strong and faithful God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, please forgive us for how often we keep leaning into the doubts, into the lies, into the fears, into the disbelief. That God, that when you are strong, that God, when you give us your word, when you have given us the gospel, and yet for us, God, to so often just, just not trust you. Father, forgive us for that. And Father, through your Holy Spirit, would it help us to live with incredible faith, with strong faith. Once again, not because we're strong, but in strong faith because the God that we believe in can make the impossible possible, that he can bring death to life, that he can make salvation possible. Help us, Lord, to be a church here that goes beyond these walls, not doing things that are humanly possible, but that, Father, that we would do things where man's power would end and where your power would begin. Father, help us to live with that kind of faith and with that kind of courage. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.